Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Coming up, Electric Ireland announces price reductions from November. But as Ireland continues to have some of the highest energy costs in Europe, does more need to be done? And decide what is the appropriate response uh, by government uh, by means of uh, universal supports or targeted supports. And we've another four weeks or so now to make those decisions. And as the childcare industry is hit by a number of closures right across the country, how can we save this vital service? Plus, high in the sky, turbulent times for Michael O'Leary as he suffers the ire of climate protesters. Welcome in Belgium! <laughs> Stop the pollution of the <laughs> plane! Well done. Right. We speak with a climate activist that says fair play to those protesters. tonight, earlier this evening, reports emerged of an Irish couple who'd been killed when they were struck by a car in Rome. I spoke with Giles Gibson in Rome and started by asking him about the circumstances that led to this tragedy. Well, this crash happened in the far south of the city, actually a very long way away from some of the most iconic sites here in Rome, such as the Colosseum and the Trevi Fountain. According to reports that we're getting in Italian media, the two Irish citizens had left a campsite in the area and were trying to cross this very busy road to try to reach a bus stop when they were hit by a moving vehicle. There is some video from the scene of the accident uh, showing a sandal as well as a, a straw hat, really the type of hat that many men would wear when they're going on their summer holiday, kind of strewn all over the road and also white police markings around them on the road. Uh, the driver, who is 54 years old, according to local media reports, did stop to or did try to assist, but was then taken to hospital for treatment of some minor injuries. And the two victims, aged 59 and 60, were pronounced dead at the scene. And that stretch of road, as you say, to the south of uh, the city, is particularly hazardous. There's, this is the second uh, fatalities in a matter of weeks there, Giles. It certainly has that kind of reputation. And if you look at it, it really looks more like a motorway than a city street with uh, two or even three lanes either side of the central reservation. Of course, Rome itself does have a reputation around the world for uh, chaotic traffic at times. And Italy is a wider country does indeed have a very poor record uh, in terms of road safety. If you look at the uh, figures for 2022 for countries within the European Union uh, in terms of road fatalities per million inhabitants, Italy comes out as the eighth highest country 
on that list within the European Union uh, as opposed to Ireland, which is right at the other end of the scale. Uh, only Sweden and Denmark have better records when it comes to road safety. So this country certainly does have a long way to go in terms of improving the safety of its roads. And indeed, the Department of Foreign Affairs here offering consular assistance um, to those impacted by that in Rome. Uh, many thanks for joining us and bringing us up to date on this story, Giles Gibson. Now, earlier today, the country's largest energy provider, Electric Ireland, announced a reduction in electricity and gas prices. This follows similar moves by Pinergy and Energia, yet bills still remain far in excess of what they were in 2020, before the energy crisis. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar does not believe the cuts will be enough. He has promised to meet with the providers. Well, here to discuss if we can expect further reductions is Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, People Before Profits' Paul Murphy, News Talk broadcaster Andrea Gilligan and from Bonkers.ie, Dara Cassidy. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you uh, first on this, Dara, uh, you know Ireland's 1.1 million Electric Ireland customers got some good news today, uh, but they may still be thinking, my bills are far in excess of, of, what, of what they were, you know, three years ago. I'm still likely to be paying an awful lot and it's not coming in until November. Put these price drops in, in the context of where gas and electricity prices are right now in this country. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's been a while since we've been talking about price decreases. So in some ways, it's obviously welcome news, but we do need to put things into perspective. Um, Electric Ireland's electricity prices are going down by 10%. Its gas prices are going down by 12%. So that'll save people around €200 Euro a year on their gas and electricity costs. Uh, but it does need to be put into perspective. Even after the price drop, uh, its prices are still around double normal levels. Levels. And to put that into monetary terms, the average Electric Ireland customer is going to be paying this winter around €1,000 more for their electricity and around €1,000 more, believe it or not, for their gas. So, yes, prices are falling and obviously mm -hmm. that is welcome news and it's good that it's happening as we move into the colder autumn and winter months, but it's still going to be a really, really expensive winter to heat and light our homes. The energy crisis isn't over. I think maybe the peak has passed, but we're a long, long way from energy prices returning to normal. Yeah, there was a, there's been a, a big concerted push to see these price drops and they have been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. Why is it that, that they've been stalled in Ireland when we've seen right across Europe people benefiting, I suppose, from prices coming down on the wholesale markets? The main reason, part of it is to do with hedging and when suppliers have bought their energy, there's a feeling that maybe they hedged incorrectly or they didn't hedge particularly well. But the fact of the matter is that in Ireland, the cost of electricity on the wholesale markets is still really, really high. It's still around two and a half times normal levels. So unfortunately, there hasn't actually been a huge amount to pass on. And when you look at the price of gas, we import most of our gas via the UK. Prices there are still around double what they would usually be. So of course, then you could say, well, why are they still so high? And there definitely are questions to be asked as to why the cost of generating electricity in particular in Ireland is so expensive. Yeah, um, we can talk a bit about that. Uh, but to come to you, Timmy, on this, you know, the Taoiseach today welcomed the price drop, but he says he doesn't believe the cuts are enough. Would you agree with his thoughts there? Yeah, I would, and that's kind of what most people in the country think, and I think you've rightly identified when they look at the average price across Europe, and we seem to be a very significant outlier. Um, it creates the question, why is it so expensive to generate electricity here? I mean, I know we're on the end of the gas line, fair enough, we have generated our own gas here in the past. And, and whilst gas has seen, you know, has been very volatile over the past two years since the war in Ukraine, it had been creeping up 
even since 2019 levels. Yeah, we, we have seen we have seen sort of those increases. I mean, this didn't start no, with, but I think with point, the war in Ukraine, no, no, although it, it, it led to an energy crisis. But we've always had those very high prices here. We've, we've seen volatility in the gas market, but I think the difficulty now is that the it has retained, it remained at such a high level above uh, you know, the average across Europe, that people are rightly asking, well, what is it that's wrong with the, the, the way our wholesale market works, the way we generate electricity, and the way we bill and charge for it? And I think that's where the Taoiseach is going to have a significant role from a government perspective in looking at that with the regulator. Because, quite frankly, uh, our economy will not be able to continue to sustain the high levels uh, of the cost of electricity, as you know. When you say he's going to look <clears> at it, I mean, he has talked about meeting with energy providers. What's he going to be saying to them? I suspect he's going to try to understand better why Ireland is so far out of kilter with and the rest of not, Europe. Does government not understand why already? We know that it's you know quite complex about I suppose where it, where it's sourced and how it's distributed and the infrastructure and all of that. But surely, yeah, and the whole hedging as Dara has mean, identified I mean, in others. People have talked about high bills and high prices and why we are paying so much more. I think eighty percent above the average mm. um, European prices when it comes yeah. to to things like electricity. Does the government not know that we're paying that much and why we're paying that much more? Of course the government know, and the government intervened last year, as you know, with a €600 Euro, uh, credit on, on domestic electricity bills to cushion uh, the impact of the market in place. But it, it's, it's not just as simple um, as the Taoiseach rocking up and telling them to reduce the prices. There are obviously infrastructural issues within uh, the way in which electricity um, market operates here. Um, and we have to try to get to the bottom of that so that we don't see these massive profits from the generating companies. I mean, you, you look at our, our, our mix, most of our electricity comes from gas, but we're also bringing more and more wind onto the, uh, onto the grid. Um, whilst the next wave of, of offshore wind will be expensive to bring to the marketplace, uh, many of the current wind farms are, are, are not, are not uh, high cost by comparison. Mm. So, so, so there, is an, there is an opportunity there to look yeah. at the mix of, of generation. And look, we do, and keep, we do keep hearing about the opportunities. I guess when people though are looking at their bills, Paul, they're wondering, um, you know, when, when will there be kind of light at the end of the tunnel here? How do you assess the government's approach uh, to energy companies and, 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 and that word from the Taoiseach today that he's going to speak with the providers? Well, it's just like their approach to the grocery companies. Um, it's extremely light touch. It's a vague hint of some pressure, but no intention or threat of actually doing anything and about it. what was it. said about that meeting with the retail forum was that we will gather the retailers in and tell them to bring their prices it, down when they were already going to bring uh, their prices bring down. Bring a few anyway. prices down and the vast majority of prices Do you stay, think stay that's up. what we're likely to see off the back of this meeting? Yeah, well, there'll, there'll be a few more price reductions, presumably, of other companies following, um, but that will be it. Mm. They will stay unaffordably high, exactly with a situation where people are paying an extra thousand euros in electricity, an extra thousand euros on other fuel and an extra thousand euros on their groceries. And that is simply unaffordable for people. And something that hasn't been part of the conversation so far is profits. Profits are a crucial reason why prices are so high. You can look at ESB, of which Electric Ireland is a part. You can look at SSE. You could look at Centrica, which mm. controls board gosh. All of their profits are very, very significantly up last year on the year before. Some of them have almost a tripling of profits. That's where this money is going. I mean, two thirds of the price increases that we're seeing in the economy are we, a consequence heard, of profiteering. I'm interested because we've heard the defence on that, that the profits aren't being made in the retail arm. They're being made elsewhere yeah. and they can't kind of, they have to separate. They, they need to remain independent of each other. So, it, but that's, it, that is, is precisely the root of the problem. Is that not problem. justifiable? So that's where this all comes from. 
Um, and you're right, it goes back, back well before the invasion of Ukraine. It goes back to the so-called liberalisation of the energy market, of beginning to break up ESB, where ESB is a state-owned company. We, we own it. The company that's making all this profit, we own it. They are not legally allowed mm. to use the profits they're making from generation to reduce the prices for ordinary people but, uh, in order I, I, to create this artificial market. And you think that's so wrong that and that needs to change? And well, as a consequence of this, we went from having some of the yeah. lowest electricity prices in Europe to having some of the highest. So what we need to have is price controls on electricity. We can pass a ministerial regulation to say these cannot charge more than right. 25 cents per uh, electricity uh, unit and we should renationalise the sector. Andrea, I want to bring you in here. Um, extraordinary profits, you know, to be fair, as Paul is saying, that mm. these companies have generated, but they have defended those profits insofar as, you know, the retail arm of things has suffered losses. But do people feel, do you think, in general, that they're being ripped off when it comes to their energy prices in this country when you compare the prices elsewhere? And does something need to be done about that? I think when you, as a customer, hear the windfall... Um, the tax, the profits from a lot of these suppliers, it's very hard to fathom why you were paying effectively double what you, you know, more than what you did 18 months ago and even before actually the, the war in, in Ukraine um, broke out. And like as Dara pointed out, you're going to get now if you're an Electric Ireland customer, somewhere in the region of about 210 quid of a drop now in your electricity and maybe, what is it, 216 for, yeah. for your gas or something to that effect. It's hard to understand. Like I think if, if you're a reviewer watching this tonight, your sole question is, Am I going to see a drop in my next gas and electricity bill? And, and I think it's optimistic to say, you know, yes, you're going to see anything more than a marginal um, decrease in that bill. And I think that people are sort of listening to this probably tonight and thinking, right, Electric Ireland, great. Mm. They're the third, you know, mm. electricity supplier or, or um, supplier within two weeks, you know, and, and undoubtedly the most significant because they're the largest, the largest supplier in the game. But I think for people, like, it's, it's not going to be the significant drop that they're expecting. It's still going to take a huge amount of time. And I think, you know, we talk about like what needs to be done. The only thing people are worried about, maybe not tonight because we're looking at a heat wave tomorrow, <laughs> but I think in the next two or three weeks, the only thing people are, are wondering, am I getting an energy credit? Am I going to yeah. get three of them mm. like I got last year? Am I still going to get the 600 quid? And I know there's some in government that think absolutely we, we need to continue with that. Yeah. Or do we go for the more targeted approach rather than the universality of it yeah. all, you know? I mean, in essence with this, if we keep, you know, rolling out energy credits, um, you know, every, every budget and then doing so maybe six months later. Is the state, you know, subventing the company by paying a portion of the bill and, and allowing them to, you know, to keep charging what they're charging there, Dara? Some, well, you could make that argument, but I mean, I do think, though, something does need to be done at the budget to help people uh, regardless. Um, but, but does I, it seem, like, if you're talking about a semi-state company here and essentially then you're getting... I, I don't think it would have state. made a difference because of the structure of the markets. I know, I, 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 mean, I understand it, that argument. Make, does it make sense to do that or do we need to kind of have an overall prices, and, and Prices and won't come the down. There'll be no difference to prices whether or not people get a credit. The credit did not stop Electric Ireland from reducing its prices. So if you don't want a credit to be paid out, fine, but that is not going to have any effect on whether prices go up or down. Uh, what I will be calling on the government to do, though, is to keep the reduced rate of VAT. It's due to go back up to 13.5%. This is not the time for the government to be taking more money from customers on their energy bills. You know, gas, electricity, it's not a luxury product. I don't see why it needs to be taxed so highly to begin with. The only thing I would say, Claire, is I, I would say a lot of people are probably concerned that the drop, actually, from Electric Ireland and other providers will mean that they won't get the credit or the government will think yes. there's some kind of pressure off and yes. they yeah. don't need yeah. to introduce the same level of credits 
And the four weeks to make that decision. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, so the big fear is that it actually will be a more difficult winter for people because mm. if, for example, the VAT rate was to go up to 13.5%, and remember, it wasn't really a 600 euro credit, so it was actually an 800 euro credit because we got 200 euro in March. So if that was to be reduced to maybe 400 euro and the VAT rate goes up, as you were saying, Andrea, it actually, despite the price drops, will be an even more expensive winter for everyone. Okay, Timmy, what's likely to happen there? First, there's that, the VAT rate, which was reduced down to, what, 9% or something? Yeah. It's not likely to be tinkered with, is it? I should hope not. Um, obviously, the government are in, in the throes of, of, of deciding the budget, but I think notwithstanding the reduction, which is really welcome, um, there is going to be very significant pressure on households through this winter, not, not just on energy, but on the increasing cost generally and the inflationary pressure that's there. What about the energy so credit? The in, yeah, what about the energy the credit? Uh, is, there, is there a lot of, of push uh, and pressure on the government to reintroduce more credits when we're seeing the prices maybe not coming down as much as yeah, as much the, as consumers would like. The, all members of the government ha have constituency offices and they're hearing it from, from, from constituents mm. and it's something that I certainly will be advocating for as I think most others in politics will to, to try and retain um, those credits there to, to take and alleviate some of the pressure that are on uh, households over the over the Yeah, we did have a warning year. though from the central bank, didn't we, just about inflation and about what, you know, government interventions and how, you know, they Yeah, but I think Gary makes the point it's they, not a luxury. Energy is not is not is not a luxury. But, People but, have to but remain But that there still could homes. be, you know, fallout from that, but notwithstanding that, the sense is do you well, think the sense is within government circles that we will need and there will be those energy credits. That's certainly something that I'm advocating for, and I think most mm. most people within the political process are. Obviously, government have a difficult decision to take in terms of structuring the budget, but I, I would hope that it's something that will be. Yeah, just briefly, like just briefly on this, and mm. people would say, you know, you were saying that you know, Leo Varadkar can't just rock up and tell energy uh, providers to cut prices. Well, people will say, look, it is the semi-state <coughs> company. Um, there are huge profits being made there. I think you the know, profits are made I, on the back end. The question it, is, the... you know, if we're not looking for quick fixes and, and maybe we need to look and assess, you know, the energy market here, do you think something more in-depth needs to be done? Do you think more action needs I, to be I, taken? I, I, to I do on the structure of... The, 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 what people would say is this is just not sustainable. Yeah. I, I do. I, I think there needs to be a review of the, the, the structure of, of the market, but I think you also have to be careful that you retain that competitive pressure because what we don't want to see is some companies fail in the middle. But, now, but I know Paul has a different view. But just remember, sorry, because we own ultimately the ESB, we get that money back ultimately. By way of dividends. The government takes a dividend, the rest gets invested into the grid, and there is a huge amount of money that needs to be invested in the grid this, to this help meet our climate change oh, targets this, over the coming this competitive years. So it's not as if it's going let's, to some bullshit. This competitive market involves different people traipsing down the same streets, offering people electricity with different deals with different providers. The electricity is all coming from the same place, mm. right? It's completely artificial so that some of these companies can create profits. It does not make sense. This should be a public utility run on a not-for-profit basis with two mandates. One, to deliver low-cost electricity for ordinary people, and two, to have a much more rapid transition to a green uh, zero carbon economy. That's what we should be doing. And that there are some of the key elements of what will be demanded by people when they're on the streets for the Cost mm. of Living Coalition protest on Saturday, the 7th of October, before the budget, one o'clock yeah. at Parnell right. Square to maximise pressure on okay. the government. You got the plug in there on that one, Paul. But um, I'm just thinking about what the ESRI said back in June, Andrea, saying there are possible explanations for companies not bringing their prices down. 
anti-competitive behaviour when firms fail to bring down a wholesale price decrease. Like, is that something that should be investigated more? As in, we, we keep hearing from the T-ship, we heard about it when there was allegations of price gouging, say, in the in retail sector and, and elsewhere, going, we do take this seriously and we will investigate um, that. Do you think there's a sense in the public that, you know, we are, we are taking a hit and we're paying an awful lot more um, for, you know, the basics than you see in other countries. Yeah. We're not doing much about it. No, and like I think even some of the opposition actually uh, parties previously called for the regulator to have more powers as well within the area. Um, I think the Taoiseach had previously said that they were, you know, well equipped in terms of the level of powers. It wasn't something that could not be done. But I mean, you'd have to question whether or not that, you know, it's, it's more regulatory um, powers or involvement that might actually be a way of even addressing mm. some of this. Do we need more regulatory oversight, Timmy? I think it wouldn't be a hindrance. Um, I think it would give confidence to the public that everything that can be done is done within the marketplace, but it may, it may, not, it may not produce um, the immediate drop that's required. I think we've got to look at how the companies are, are hedging, but how I they're mean, buying forward. Yeah, I, I think transparency there's, there's is important, though, and that's interesting completely. what you're saying, Dara. You think... Yeah, there does need to be more oversight here. Do you think I mean, there's a though. lack of clarity really about where our prices are coming from? Well, yeah, potentially. But so just asking the question, do we think there should be more regulatory you know, power? Yes, but I mean, the CRU needs us. I think Comreg and the telecommunications sector needs us. Uh, we're very, very pro-business in this country, which is great. It served us very, very well. But I just think at a government level, there isn't a strong enough voice for the consumer at times. So it's not just in the energy sector, in my opinion. You see this everywhere. You see it at the banking sector. You see it in the telecommunications communication sector and of course in the energy sector. All right. Thank you, Dara, for joining us. There we will leave that conversation. But coming up next, we discuss why childcare providers are set to strike later this month. Do stay with us. Back staffing and profitability issues have resulted in a number of childcare providers closing their doors as a three-day protest looms later this month. Well, staying with me to explore how the government can solve these issues is Timmy Dooley. Paul Murphy is with us and Andrea Gilligan is also with us tonight. Joining us is Elaine Dunn, Chairperson of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. You're very welcome along to the programme, Elaine. Thank you. Um, we've heard uh, alarming uh, statistics, such as 180 creches closing down since, uh, since last year alone. Uh, take us through the obstacles facing the, the providers right now and why you've made the decision to go off the job and close down childcare facilities at the end of this month for three days. So we have a huge concern around the financial viabilities of all of the services in the country at the moment. Um, we're seeing a lot of the small um, early childhood care and education services close their doors permanently. And these are lovely small little settings in all the mm. little rural uh, areas around the country and urban. And they're all closing completely and we're losing them. You're seeing now medium-sized full-day care is closing as well and closing permanently. So we had a meeting there a few months ago and we decided we've got to take some kind of action. So then we decided we would look at a two-day or three-day protest and we took a ballot on it. Yeah. And we all agreed that it has to be three days. We've tried one day here, one day there. It hasn't worked. So now we're stuck where we are now because many of us, sorry, just many of us are stuck in a fee freeze going back to 2017. And for the early childhood care and education, they're stuck in a fee freeze from 2010. They've had a 7% increase from government funding. 
in 13 years. You see, people will ask, Elaine, you know, who have young children in childcare, it is costing them more than a mortgage every month mm -hmm. to put their kids in childcare. And how is it then that the providers are at their wits end and shutting down and having to get credit union loans and being in... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Such financial hardship. How is that possible? Well, for, for parents now, what you're seeing, you have your ETSI schemes, you get 69 euros a week off your parental fees, you're in the full daycare service. You also now have the NCS that's come in as well. And depending on your earnings, you get a, a fee decrease as well from the providers. But for us, everything has gone up for us. And many of us, as I said, are stuck in a fee freeze dating back to 2017. And so for some that we've met over the last couple of weeks, some of them are even stuck in fee freezes to 2012. And they're full daycare services. Mm -hmm. They're charging 170 euros a week. Okay, so um, you're in no. a situation, I mean, I, the question is, like, and what you're saying to government is, this is a, an accountancy breakdown here, that the funding you're receiving essentially is not enough to keep the service going, but you must freeze your prices. That's a very difficult situation, isn't it, for childcare providers? It, it is, and early childcare providers are finding the same difficulty that every small business is at the minute with the significant increase in inflation all the costs going up. We talked about in the earlier mm. segment of the programme, energy is a big issue, it's a big cost, as well as other uh, additional um, costs, including the rising cost of staffing th these facilities. So, so why are they not getting more funding? Well, I, I've met with Elaine uh, and others in, in this sector who have clearly made the case to all members of Parliament. Um, and of course, it will be looked at in the context of the budget. It, it has to be. We cannot have a situation where Childcare facilities are closing. Uh, the government has invested very significant amounts of money, uh, now a total of about a billion a year, which wasn't done heretofore. Uh, it was about labour activation. It was about getting uh, both parents back into the workplace. Um, it would be wrong of any administration um, to allow the good work that has been done in building up a very significant level of mm. uh, childcare services and facilities yeah. and to allow it to drift now well, against this inflationary I mean, pressure. The, the question is then, why has it got to this point that we're seeing, you know, a lack of crash places, childcare facilities closing down before the government may take some sort of action? If there's, you know, well, increased as, protests and, and childcare facilities yeah, well, closing I accept down. That, but as you know, there's a budgetary cycle. Um, and a, you, 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 I, come you, on, you, Nick. I know you don't a, have a budget every week. Cycle, you can't have a budget every week. So issues are, are, are planned for. We, we manage our economy okay. on the basis that we plan for it. But what about emergency funding in the case that you are seeing? And I'll come back to Elaine on it in a minute. Emergency funding, um, you know, in the case. Like we, We've seen decisions being made and purse strings being opened and the likes of COVID and, and, and other things. And people will say, not just people who are working in the industry, but parents who simply get, can't get their children 
into a childcare facility, mm. that more needs to be done to help both yeah. parents and childcare providers right now. Yeah. And, and I accept that. And my expectation is that that yeah. will be addressed in the forthcoming budget, which will, be, which will be delivered in a number of weeks' time. And I think Elaine and her members right around the country are voicing their concerns to mm. people like me and others. Uh, they've brought forward proposals to the government to mm. address this. Um, and I'm hopeful that a dialogue can take place between both sides and that we'll see some uh, significant changes in the budget. That's my expectation. That's my hope. Okay. Um, uh, Paul, what do you make of all of this? You're a new dad yourself. You're going to be entering uh, this... Entering the world this, of this very expensive crashes, yeah. Childcare. And it is very expensive. It is very I mean, expensive. That's a point people will be making yeah. and actually wondering, you know, it, it, is, it is costing, as I say, especially depending on where you are in the country, uh, more, more than a mortgage a month. Yes. Uh, to put one child yes. into childcare. Yeah, a friend of mine so is... So how is it in this she, a friend financial of mine is, crisis? Is due to have her second kid shortly. She has one already in crash, paying close to €1,000. She's going to be faced with two. You know, basically, her and her partner will be paying three mortgages. Mm. Um, and yet just, like, that is the number one obstacle that prevents women returning to the workplace who would like to return to the workplace. Something like close to 90% of women who say they'd like to be returning to the workplace but can't it's because they just simply cannot afford it and then people have to stay at home. Um, so I think this is a huge crisis. Like, clearly the budget needs to be used, the funding has to be provided so that fees can be frozen. Um, I'd also say so that childcare workers who are low-paid, again, overwhelmingly female workers, paid not much more than a minimum wage, can be paid properly, can be paid at least 15 euros an hour. Yeah. But I would so also say... Nationalise nationalise well, childcare. Well, so well, I presume that's what you'd like to see. Fundamentally, this is an entirely broken system. It really is. The only ones it works for... It doesn't work for the people Elaine represents. It doesn't work for parents. It doesn't work for workers. The only one it works for is the big, big providers, the giraffe, cocoon, etc. They trebled their profits in the last number of years. So they're getting money from parents, they're getting money from the state, and they're operating on a big basis and are able to make mm. very significant profits. Uh, we need like a public system of childcare, a national childcare system. You have that in Italy, you have it in Spain. Like, why, why do we have free publicly provided primary school, secondary school. We didn't always have that for yes, everybody. We, Why don't we have this for those under the age of, of primary Andrea, school? Andrea, we, 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 are, we, are, we are again talking about being an outlier, but we are an outlier in OECD countries when it comes to this in terms of what we, uh, childcare provision and the cost of childcare. Um, like, has the time come and do you think, you know, parents will be demanding it now that we look at, you know, a national childcare model that we shouldn't have to be paying these extortionate fees and then not getting um, the services because the smaller the smaller providers just you know can't keep up. Yeah, well, you can argue like childcare is effectively the cornerstone of any functioning economy, and the reality at the moment here in Ireland is that our system just isn't working. Like it used to be the case, and I used to hear the stories in the show from people when they'd ring in about mm. anything to do with childcare, was that you you couldn't get a spot for your child, or there were waiting lists. I mean, now it's just a case of childcare providers are saying we're actually shutting up shop. We're pulling down the shutters and we're closing. And it's a lot of it is to do, as Elaine pointed out, with the whole funding funding mechanism. But the other the other element to all of this is that like there are so many childcare providers now across the country who just will not, because of the current system that's in place, they're not even accepting children under the age of one. Just won't take them, will not take them. So what does that mean? It means for people I know I've talked to in the programmes, even some of my own friends who've had children recently that have finished their maternity leave after the six months, they are actually forced now, they cannot, even they want to go back to work after the six months, they can't do it. They've yeah. actually got to take unpaid leave from work till the child gets up the other six months, turns one years of age, 
and then hopefully pray and fingers crossed that you might get a crash that will take you on because it's not even just about the, the lack of availability and the shortage of spaces. It's that, I suppose, childcare providers, and I can understand that given the payment and the funded mechanism and the two different streams and all of that, there's no, it's not profitable for childcare providers now to even take the underwater. Yeah. I don't just, want them I'm anymore. just wondering, and it's not, it's not just, uh, I suppose, Paul looking for this, you know, nationalised model. We have heard it from the Labour Party and from others that we need to fundamentally look at how we provide um, for, you know, young kids in our society and, and, and for care for them and for families. But what would, you know, you think of that from, from a childcare provider's point of view? Would you like to see a nationalised model? No, but I would like them to go back to the table and look at the funding that they're giving us because this year we got three cent per child per hour. That's the rise we got in our core funding this year. And two cent if you're a school age service. How is that going to keep our doors open? How are we supposed to give higher wages? How are we supposed to pay all of our bills? And how, how frustrating is it when you do see bigger crash chains making huge profits? I, I, look, I haven't looked at their books, so I don't really want to comment on that because we, we've spoken to a few of the chains this week and they're not all doing as well as they're being portrayed in the newspaper. So we have to be very careful of how we, we talk about other services. I don't want to get into that you, whatsoever. You, you kind of don't want it to be a, a divisive I don't issue want, between... There should never be a divide in the sector between any providers whatsoever mm. because we're all getting the same government funding. So it's economy of scale. Like if you have a large number of children, of course you're going to get a, a lot more funding. But like we're the small people, the small family-run full daycare services, the early childhood care and education services. We're the ones that have been penalised by government funding. Like how can you trust a government that has given you one increase in 13 years? And then you go into core funding thinking you're going to get a huge amount of funding and it didn't happen. Yeah. We've heard from Timmy saying, you know, that, uh, you know, th that they are hearing from, from providers like yourself. They're hearing from from parents as well and that there is likely to be some move on this. How confident are you that there will be a change or an increase in funding coming your way? I would really like to see it for the children of this country mm. because if we close our doors, these children will lose out on an education. And that's really important because everybody talks about the money and everything, but what about the child? Children have rights and we don't want to let the children down. And that's why a lot of us are hanging in and we're on a shoestring. Like we're really, really, like I was down a lot of money during the summer and I had to take a 20,000 euro loan in my own business. I mean, I shouldn't have had to do that. Yeah, tell us yeah. what it's like as well in terms of having to pay staff and, and pay yourself. Um, uh, how much of a, a recruitment or a staffing crisis are you seeing there? Are you, are you finding that people say, look, uh, you know, I can do better if I'm working privately in somebody's home oh, no, or, uh, you know, if I go to a primary school and work as an SNA retrain, that it's, it's actually better oh, for it, them to do it that? It absolutely is. We, we actually ran a survey last April on this and what came out of it was that many of our staff that are leaving the sector are going to work for the Department of Education as SNAs. Then they're also going to work for Pubble, which is a department um, in the department, they're working for Tusla, they're working for Better Start, they're all mm -hmm. department. Like, we can't pay those wages. We don't have the funding. If you're going to, if you want us to pay high wages, please fund us so that we can do that. Okay. Uh, briefly, Timmy, I just want to bring in, you know, we got a lot of emails um, on foot of, 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 from providers telling their stories. Uh, for the first time in nine years of trading, we've had to take an overdraft every two weeks. Um, we have three services full to capacity, waiting list for 2025. We have babies not born yet on our waiting list and the figures just don't add up. No, I accept there's a problem. Um, I've sat with uh, some of the providers. They've but shown the question me is, books. does Roger Gorman accept there's a problem? Does government accept there's a problem here? Well, 
they, they clearly do. They, there's clearly a recognition. Well, if that nothing has been done to date, is there is there an acceptance? But, but or? I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that the time to do that is in the budget. That's where monies are set aside for next year for all services, including childcare services. So of course the government are listening, um, and I'm hopeful that based on the dialogue that that that, that, that has been initiated. Okay. Um, that there can be a satisfactory outcome to this. Okay, we will have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Elaine Dunn for joining us. Well, um, from protests to cream pies, we've plenty more to chat about after the break. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Well, he's no stranger to a publicity stunt, but earlier today, Ryanair Chief Executive Michael O'Leary found himself at the centre of one when a cream pie made a clean landing on his face, courtesy of some climate activists. Take a look at this. Welcome in Belgium! <laughs> Stop the pollution of the <laughs> place! Well done. Brushed it off. It wasn't, I'd like to clarify, it wasn't one cream pie. It was, in fact, two, as you saw from that footage there. Well, Timmy Dooley, Paul Murphy and Andrea Gilligan have stayed on with me. And we're also joined by CEO and founder of Opportunity Green, Aoife O'Leary. Aoife, uh, you're a climate activist. You're someone who very much um, looks to this climate crisis and, and what we can do about it. What do you make of uh, two pies in the face for Michael O'Leary? Was it justified? Uh, it wouldn't be something I would do myself, but I have to say I have a lot of sympathy for those activists. Um, aviation is incredibly polluting. We're in a climate crisis, so governments haven't done what they need to do. And those activists were making a point, and I think they've made that point really well. Um, uh, yeah, again, I think... It's at that point where we're just going to see more and more protests like that. And, you know, it's resulted in getting uh, this discussed on your programme. So in some ways they've, you know, made their point and uh, been very successful. Well, that is very true. We are talking about it. Michael O'Leary might also be happy because uh, he was uh, launching a stunt of his own that mightn't have got the same amount of coverage had he not been pied in the face. But on a more serious note, you know, it's not the first, I guess, of these when you, when you, physical protests, if you like. Um, we've had Just Stop Oil, uh, you know, interrupting Wimbledon. And uh, they certainly garner headlines. But is it the best way, do you think, to affect change? Some would say... You know, it's going to make people switch off and say, look, what are you doing? It's it's all, all it's doing is, you know, getting a few headlines for yourselves, but really not going to the nub of the problem. I think it is very effective, actually, though, because if you look at the amount of coverage we've had really since Greta Thunberg, it's changed everything. I've been working in climate change for over 10 years and I now no longer need to explain what it is, how it's a crisis all of that is clear. And I guess the other thing is we don't know what works in climate change a lot of the time. What you need is you need public pressure. You also need NGOs like mine who have like policy solutions to come in and speak to governments and industry. So you kind of need a wraith of solutions. And I do think there is room for protest because it is so serious. People are dying from climate change and it's only going to get worse. And if the politicians continue to not listen, then things like this are just going to continue to increase. OK, Timmy, if the politicians don't listen, then, you know, you're likely to get uh, a cream pie in your face. I, I'm sure. But, I mean, reality is 
politicians and governments have listened. And I think from the what days... What about Michael O'Leary? Well, Michael O'Leary is, is part of an industry that is changing. I mean, there is... His company has invested in sustainable in sustainable fuel development. I mean, he was out. There. I mean, the stunt today was about um, you know. Uh, well, it was well, to actually do a stunt strike was today was to reduce the amount of time planes spend in the sky when, say, the French. But to ensure um, that those flights are on strike. To, to ensure that those flights they get can, there quicker those, and those, they don't those burn very as much profitable fuel. flights, I suppose, can continue to look, fly, look, I, to fly I, I, right across Europe. Yeah, so, so, so I, I get the fact that there's protest and it's welcome and it certainly adds to debate. I, I certainly don't think there's need to put a cream pie in somebody's face to get your point across. Um, I think, you know, at the beginning, and Aoife's probably right, um, there was a necessity to have standout moments to get people talking about climate change. It's talked about. It's part of every uh, government's agenda now. I mean, we've brought forward very strong legislation in recent years where we set targets now of what we have to do in terms of decarbonising our economy by 2030 mm. and onwards to 2050. So we're on a trajectory. Yeah. But you've got to bring people okay. with you. And I think stunts like this, right. quite frankly, doesn't help. You'll get people saying, ah, oh, this is more of that agenda. They're trying to push their way forward rather than working it through the, w the way it should be. Um, and I think there's open debate now around issues. Climate okay. change is talked about like it was never talked about before. And action is happening and the okay, government is driving that we're agenda. Talking, we're talking about climate now, Paul, and all this does is stop people getting, getting on board. We're on a trajectory, all right. We're in a trajectory to massively overshoot completely inadequate targets, right? The scientists say we have to avoid going over one and a half degrees. The world's governments agree we're going to have promise, we're going to say we're going to do this, etc. And they agree a set of targets which gets us to two and a half to three degrees, and then they implement actual policies which are heading for four to five degrees. So I think if we continue on the trajectory we're actually on, in a couple of decades' time, our kids are going to ask us, and they're going to say, what did you do about this? But how did we allow literally millions of people to die? Mm. Uh, like 60,000 people died last year alone in heat waves so just in Europe. Right? Uh, how do you allow our food systems to collapse? How did you allow our entire way of life to like disappear for huge parts of the earth to become uninhabitable? And what did you do for the people who were responsible? And if all we say is, oh, he got a cream pie in the face, I think they'll say, what? That's all you did? For the, the okay, so you say that's not company, effective, actually. There's no point in I, that. I, I think we have to build a mass movement to end the rule of right. companies like Ryanair, of the big oil and gas companies. Um, so that's and simply I, but a I think, So do you think it's effective or not? Do you well, think, I think it's that helps, or do you think it, it, it actually... That helps to raise help. some awareness. But fundamentally, it's, it's, it's inadequate. Michael O'Leary still rules. He still yeah. has massive political influence in this government. Big agribusiness in this country still rule. Still have massive, massive political influence. The politicians now say... They're listening, they're talking, they acknowledge the science. But is it not almost worse to acknowledge the science and then do nothing about it? I mean, to just bow down to big tech companies in this country with their data centres more and more, yeah. to bow down to big agribusiness and to just allow them to continue their policies, which okay. are all about the profits of a tiny, tiny few coming ahead of the lives of almost everybody on this planet. OK, us uh, raising, uh, you know, talking about this, uh, all of this, uh, Andrea, like in the grand scheme of things, and we heard you know, the, the UN chief talking about a, a climate breakdown and what we're seeing with those record-searing temperatures right across the world this summer. Um, that, you know, they're just little things that you're doing, but it actually does get us talking about, you know, climate again. It puts it back and it keeps it in the headlines. Is it, is that, is it justifiable on that front? 
I don't think what happened today in Brussels is effective at all. And I, but I, but in a weird way, I actually think but that we're Michael, talking about it. Yeah, we're talking about it. And I think Michael O'Leary is probably you know smiling as well about this because well, I think he handled it actually really well. I don't think I would have handled it anywhere near as well as he did. And I'd say he's delighted about the fact that if you're somebody that's kind of you know you accept that there is a climate issue um, and you're willing to do you know a certain amount to address that. When you hear conversations about the pie, you know, pie in your face and, and the air been let out of tyres that we've seen even in parts of Dublin in, in recent weeks, I actually think that the environmental activists are losing the middle ground on that. I actually yeah. think they're losing the middle ground people who think, do you know what? Yes, I want to do a bit more. Absolutely, I agree, you know, with a lot of what Paul has to say. But I actually think for just the regular punter at home, this isn't the kind of protest that they necessarily want to see because there is something. I'm not. I don't, I don't necessarily think that cr you know cream pie in your face is aggressive, but there is an element of I think just aggression that comes with that. And I think for regular people, that's that's nearly not the kind of side that they necessarily want to join. Eva, what do you think of that? There's an element of aggression that's going to switch people off, and um, when they see you know stunts such as this, that they just don't work. I think that could be true. And I think that is a really good point about the middle ground. And, you know, every time Michael O'Leary fills up his Ryanair aircraft, he pays zero in terms of fuel tax. Now, think about what the average car driver, van driver, etc. in Ireland pays every time they fill up their car and their van. They're the middle ground. But you're not hearing that story. And when we say, yeah, we're talking about climate, unfortunately, though, Ryanair's budget to go out and advertise and Michael O'Leary to get the headlines is just basically unlimited. And I struggle to get funding to talk about that tax issue. And when Timmy says the governments have tackled it, I can tell you right now that if you fly from Dublin to New York, there is essentially no regulation on that pollution whatsoever. So I actually fundamentally disagree. We have acknowledged the problem, but we are still allowing polluting industries to dictate our policies. And the fact that there's no tax on fuel that goes into aviation, like that's incredible, right? Surely everyone here must agree in 2023, when we are in a climate crisis, when there's a cost of living crisis, when you're talking about the cost of childcare, how can we allow an industry like aviation to continue to do that? It's, it makes no sense. So I'm, um, yeah, completely just still confused as to if we think climate change has gotten enough attention, then what is it that we're missing? And I would love to have the answer to that. I don't necessarily. And if more people putting pies in the face of Michael O'Leary is going to bring this up and allows me to bring the message of the lack of taxation on aviation to the people of Ireland, then hey, well, maybe it was worthwhile. Yeah, well, that's certainly something to me. It's interesting that, you know, we'd like to talk about what we're doing, but we don't want to talk about what we're not doing. Yeah, so you talk about taxation on aviation fuel. That will have to be done at European and probably at a global level because yeah, but what it do you flies think between various idea? different countries. Oh, no, I, I certainly think that we should be uh, introducing the, the carbon tax uh, on fuels that are used in aviation. I also think we should be investing significantly uh, in developing more sustainable aviation fuel um, as a way forward because quite frankly people are not prepared to change their habits to that extent that they're not going to fly um, yeah, What about cutting down on flights and just you know I suppose increased uh, sanctions I, think, I suppose to cut I, down on well, it's not cut sanctions I mean you're trying to bring the people with you so by increasing taxes on aviation what you're really saying is well let's price some people out of the marketplace and I don't think that that 
that I'm picking up that from Irish society, that that's what they want. So what we have to then do is look towards investment uh, in sustainable aviation fuels that ensures that that industry uh, is making its contribution okay. um, to the decarbonisation of our, of our economy. Okay, well, um, I'm glad we're getting to have that conversation. So whether it's thanks to the cream pies or not, uh, I'm not too sure. Um, but there, we're going to leave that from now. Uh, my thanks to our panel tonight, to Timmy, to Paul, to Andrea and to Aoife and all the rest of our guests on the programme. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, Good night and do take care.